Episode 20 Rectus Sheet Hematoma One of the risk factors of rectus sheet hematoma, abdominal trauma, forceful abdominal contraction, for example, cuffing, anticoagulation therapies, and older age, specifically female sex. Clinical features include acute abdominal pain with palpable abdominal mass, blood loss, and anemia would be there, and leukocytosis will also be there. There can be nausea, vomiting, and fever. Management includes if the patient is hemodynamically stable, then you have to do serial CBC monitoring and also reverse the anticoagulation and also you can use the transfusion of the blood products whenever it's needed. And if the patient is unstable, then you directly have to go for angiography with embolization and surgical ligation. So, if a patient is using epixibin and also has developed an acute abdominal pain, and it is associated with palpable abdominal mass and anemia. So this suggests that the patient has developed the rectus abdominis hematoma or a rectus sheet hematoma, okay, RSH. Rectus sheet hematoma typically occurs due to rupture of the inferior epigastric artery, which supplies the blood supply blood to the lower aspect of the rectus abdominis muscle. The rectus sheet, which contains the muscle, does not extend posteriorly below the arcuate line. Therefore, the bleeding below this line, example lower aspect of the rectus abdominis muscle is relatively uncontained and can result in significant hematoma with uh, significant hemorrhage with hematoma formation. So there is no space for blood to leave. So there you see the hematoma is forming. Okay. The rectus sheet hematoma is often seen with blunt trauma or forceful abdominal construction. Example, severe cuffing in case of asthma exacerbation. So if you see someone is having eczema, asthma exacerbation and he is coughing severely, so there are so forceful contractions which can lead to rectus sheet hematoma, particularly in patients who are receiving anticoagulant therapy. The other risk factors also include the old age and the female sex. Manifestations include the acute abdominal pain, often associated with rebound and guarding. A palpable abdominal mass and tenderness may worsen with the abdominal contraction. And if you see, there is tenderness which is worsening when you the abdominal abdomen is contracting. It is called as carnet sign. Nausea, vomiting and fever may also be there. And laboratory findings in, usually includes anemia, leukocytosis due to inflammation. And for the diagnosis, you do the confirmation with the help of abdominal CT scan. If the patient is hemodynamically st stable, you have to usually manage conservatively serial monitoring of the CBC, reversal of the anticoagulation whenever appropriate. However, if you see there is significant bleeding and hemodynamically instable patient is there, that is shock, then they may require angiography with embolization or surgery. Okay. So this is all about rectus sheath hematoma. Let's talk about diverticular abscess. Diverticular abscess is caused by... Uh, due to constipation and all that but remember diverticular abscess present with present as leukocytosis and abdominal pain and also may have palpable abdominal mass however fever nausea vomiting usually precede the development of the abscess the onset generally is less acute and anemia is unexpected in case of diverticulosis next is the ovarian torsion it is associated with pain and palpable mass however it causes severe pelvic pain rather than the para-umbilical pain, okay, or an adnexial mass. There is no such the para-umbilical pain or adnexial mass, but in case of hematoma, since rectus abdominis muscle or rectus sheath is in the center only near the umbilicus region, so you see the pain over there only. In addition, it would not cause anemia. You must remember that. And it is more common in the women of 20s to 30s, not in the older women. Significant volvulus, I mean to say volvulus, 
of any area for example sigmoid volvulus present with abdominal pain and vomiting however onset is typically insidious that it takes so much time associated with severe diffuse abdominal pain and tympani on examination blood counts are usually normal okay unless there is perforation although paraumbilical hernias can also occurs after the abdominal surgeries and uh, painful abdominal mass can be there if it gets strangulated but patient history of a palpable bulge that enlarges and increases the uh, with the intra increase in the intraabdominal pressure that is coughing and uh, anemia suggest of the rectus uh, rectus sheet hematoma so rectus sheet hematoma are characterized by acute abdominal pain with palpable abdominal wall mass often associated with anemia and leukocytosis they usually occurs due to the rupture of the inferior epigastric artery from the blunt trauma or the forceful abdominal contraction for example severe coughing and particularly in those who are having or receiving the anticoagulation therapy moving on to the next question okay so the next question says a 55 year old woman undergoes an allogenic hematopoietic stem cell transplant from hla matching an unrelated donor for the treatment of the acute myelogenous leukemia she received an conditioning chemotherapy prior to the transplantations and her immediate post transplant course was uncomplicated however 3 weeks after the transplant the patient develops uh, worsening cramping abdominal pain and diarrhea the diarrhea is watery and persistent even at night with an output of 3 liters daily no particular food makes the symptoms worse or better medication includes tacrolimus prophylactic acyclovir and thymerosine sulfamethoxazole and voriconazole the patient has no chronic medical conditions she has been in the hospital since the transplant and is a low uh, and is at on a low microbial diet physical examination shows generalized maculopapular rash and stool shows the clostridium species the pcr testing for the cytomegalovirus is negative which of the following is the most likely cause of this patient's diarrhea so what is the cause of the diarrhea is it because of the antibody dependent cellular cytotoxicity or cd8 t cells uh, mediated injury or cryptosporidium parvum infection or delayed toxicity of conditioning chemotherapy or post transplant lymphoproliferative disorders okay so answer for this question is cd8 t lymphocyte mediated uh, injury okay so this patient profuse watery diarrhea maculopapular rash raises a strong suspicion for acute graft versus host disease an immune mediated multisystem inflammatory disorders that occurs in 35 to 50% of the patient who are undergoing allogenic hematopoietic stem cell transplant acute graft versus host disease arises when donor t cells particularly cytotoxic t cells identifies antigens on the host epithelial cells as foreign okay so donor t cells are identifying host epithelial cells as foreign subsequently generate a strong pro inflammatory response patient with acute graft versus host disease generally develops symptoms within 100 days of transplantations include the following maculopapular rash that is often painful and can be confluent resembling the steven johnson syndrome there can be profuse watery diarrhea that has a secretory pattern that is persistent unregulated unrelated to eating and occurs at night and is often associated with cramping abdominal pain vomiting and nausea liver inflammation can also be there liver inflammation with damage to the biliary tract epithelium leading to elevation of the bilirubin alkaline phosphatase and transamine acute graft versus host disease is usually diagnosed by biopsy colonoscopy with biopsy a common infection such as clostridium difficile and cytomegalovirus are ruled out and the glucocorticoid are the main main therapy for this acute uh, graft versus host disease so what i told you 
whenever you see watery diarrhea maculopapular rash in a patient after three weeks then that means the acute versus graft versus osseous it is because of the cytotoxic t cells of the donor towards the host okay maculopapular rash profuse watery diarrhea and liver inflammation would be there and uh, treatment would uh, diagnose with the help of biopsy colonoscopy biopsy and also we have to rule out the crossidium deficit and cytomegalovirus infections and the treatment is glucocorticoid now graft versus host disease is almost entirely mediated by t cells Study has found that removal of the donor T cells completely resolved and eliminated the graft versus host disease, but increased risk of the graft rejections and disease recurrence. Okay, yeah, but if we eliminate the T cells, no, then there is increased risk of graft rejection. Okay, B cells and the humoral antibody plays an important role in pathogenesis of the graft versus host disease. A classical example is antibody dependent cellular toxicity. is natural killer cell activation so you should remember that and it is useful in some form of cancer chemotherapies so the answer that is antibody dependent cellular toxicity would go for the cancers okay next is cryptosporidium is the most common cause of the profuse secretory diarrhea and most often manifest in the impaired cellular immunity however maculopapular rash would be atypical and this patient who has been hospitalized since the transplant has been eating a low microbial diet so there is no risk of the cryptosporidium the condition chemotherapy is administered prior to the transplantation to destroy the active immune cells that is immunoablative therapy or to destroy the hematopoietic stem cells in the bone marrow to create a room for the transplanted cells that is myeloablative therapy although chemotherapy is often associated with few days of nausea vomiting and gastrointestinal signs and symptoms it resolves within a week symptoms 3 weeks later will be very atypical and it more often suggests the graft versus host disease The patient who has undergone solid organ tra- transplant or hematopoietic stem cell transplant has an increased risk of lymphoproliferative disorders because most patients present many years later after transplant with extra nodal or CNS lesions. Okay, profuse watery diarrhea and maculopapular rash for this condition will be atypical. So the conclusion of this question was acute graft versus host disease is a common complication of the allogenic hematopoietic stem cells transplantation. It arises when the donor T cells recognizes antigens on the host epithelial cells as foreign, foreign, and initiate a strong inflammatory response. Patient usually manifest uh, symptoms within hundred days of transplant, including the maculopapular rash, profuse watery diarrhea, and hepatobiliary inflammations. Okay, moving on to the next question. A nine-month-old boy is brought to the office by his parents due to swelling of the feet and the nine uh, hands for the past day. They first noted swelling when the patient refused to hold the bottle of the morning formula. He has also had poor feeding and fuzzy, and the patient has uh, no preceding upper respiratory tract infections or sick contact. He was uh, adopted from the Nigeria, and his family history is not known. His vaccination are up to date. Temperature is one zero one. Pulse is one fifty. On examination, dorsal surface of the hand and the feet both are swollen and tender to palpations. Re- reminder of the examination: patient joints appear normal, and uh, he is uh, he is unable to grasp the examiner's hands due to restricted range of the movement. No rash is seen on the skin examination. X-ray of the feet and the hand reveals soft tissue swelling. Which of the following is the most likely presentations? So, is it because of the autoimmune arthritis? or it is because of the hypertrophic osteoarthropathy or ischemic necrosis of the bone microvascular occlusion salmonella bone infections or staphylococcal bone infections okay so the answer for this question was microvascular occlusion because uh, differential diagnosis of the bone pain in sickle cell disease this patient is from nigeria so you should think about the sickle cell disease since he was adopted and he is weak and now he is having fever okay 
द डिफरेंशियल डायग्नोसिस ऑफ द बोन पेन इन द सिकल सेल डिसीज तो इधर इट कैन भी बिकॉज ऑफ दी वेसो ऑक्लोजिव क्राइसिस और इट कैन भी बिकॉज ऑफ दी ऑस्टियोमाइलाइटिस और इट कैन भी बिकॉज ऑफ ए वैस्कुलर निक्रॉसिस सो नाउ इफ इट्स बिकॉज ऑफ वेसो ऑक्लोजिव क्राइसिस सो वट वुड भी द क्लिनिकल फीचर्स इट वुड भी एक्यूट एंड देर विल भी सीवियर पेन इफ इट इज बिकॉज ऑफ ऑस्टियोमाइलाइटिस अगेन इट विल भी एक्यूट एंड देर विल भी सब एक्यूट पेन एक्यूट और सब एक्यूट ओके एंड इफ इट इज बिकॉज ऑफ दी ए वेस्कुलर नेक्रोसिस दैन इट विल भी क्रॉनिक ओके एंड देर विल भी वर्सनिंग पेन and that too on the femoral head only okay now vaso occlusive crisis you see pain at more than one side example dactylitis you see in in hand and the foot okay like that and you also see low grade fever erythema and warmth may be present and may pre- uh, may be preceded by a trigger for example dehydration okay now in osteomyelitis you see focal pain at one side only that is long bone and you see prolonged fever is there and erythema and worm is present and you see a positive blood culture in case of avascular necrosis there is chronic worsening pain at the femoral head and there is absence of the fever and absence of the warmth and the edema so since the fever was present in this patient so we rule out the avascular necrosis next since the uh, there were two organs uh, two parts of the body involved that is hand and the foot therefore it is vaso occlusive crisis not osteomyelitis so now let's discuss dactylitis that is hand and foot syndrome can be the earliest manifestations of the vaso occlusive crisis in the sickle cell disease vaso occlusive uh, vaso occlusions of the blood vessels supplying the supplying the metacarpals and the metatarsus occurs secondary to the polymerizations of the sickle hemoglobin and increases the red blood cells additions this syndrome usually present at 6 months to 4 years of age so this boy was 9 months only okay 6 months to 4 years of age which an acute onset of the uh, pain and the pain is symmetric uh, pain present as symmetrical swelling and uh, of the hand and the feet so yeah along with the pain you see symmetrical swelling of hand and feet and low grade fever is also present initial radiographic uh, diagnostic reveals the soft tissue swelling although recurrent episodes they can reveal a molted appearance of the bone initially you see a soft tissue swelling but later on you can see a molted appearance of the bone also okay although the children with uh, sickle cell disease in united states are diagnosed with hemoglobin electrophoresis on the newborn screening uh, the de- the presence of the dactylitis in the previously healthy child uh, prompt ev- evaluation for the sickle cell disease treatment involve hydration and pain control that's it the next question is the systemic uh, the next point here is the systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis so yeah it can present in early childhood with joint pain and most commonly present at rash and high fever and large joint involvement it is an autoimmune disorder and it is associated with other autoimmune disorders such as psoriatic arthritis ankylosing spondylitis that can cause the dactylitis classically occurring in older children and adult okay so yeah now the next thing is the let's talk about something about dactylitis you see each and every finger swollen and something so you have to rule out that this picture is of dactylitis okay hypertrophic osteoarthropathy is a clinical syndrome comprising of digital clubbing so okay in hypertrophic obstructive cardiopathy you see a parrot beak uh, fingers and nails and there is digital clubbing and the bone swelling is there of the toes and the fingers most commonly seen in pulmonary disorders such as cystic fibrosis and copds and malignancies and can and these changes can develop chronically and typically seen in the older child and adult avascular necrosis or osteonecrosis of the femoral head is a common complication of scd but i already told you it will involve the femoral head only and it is a chronic process and progressive hip involvement will be there okay so that and the last is the due to splenic infarctions the patient may have a increased risk for the infections bacterial infections including osteomyelitis osteomyelitis present with fever and swelling and pain 
in a single bone rather than bilateral on the hand and the feet. Staph aureus is the most common cause of the bacterial osteomyelitis in all patients and the patient with sickle cell disease is are at increased risk of salmonella osteomyelitis too. Moving on to the next question. A 30-year-old man is admitted for the observation following a motorcycle collision. Okay. And he was uh, hemodynamically stable. And uh, initial workup revealed that he has an isolated liver reservations. The patient has no chronic medical conditions and takes no medications and is consumed 3 to 4 alcohol drinks daily and smoke a packet of cigarette daily for 10 years. Over the night, his hemoglobin levels acutely decrease and the pec cell red blood cell was transfused. After an hour of transfusion, the patient develops difficulty breathing and the transfusion is stopped. Temperature is uh, 98.4, blood pressure is 86 by 42. He is having anaphylaxis maybe. Pulse is this and the uh, re respiration is this. Pulse oximetry shows 88% saturation lung examination shows bilateral crackles and skin examination is normal and chest x-ray reveals bilateral pulmonary infiltrations which of the following is the next step best next step in the management of this patient's respiratory depression uh, distress so either you have to give the anticoagulation therapy or you have to use the broad spectrum antibiotics or uh, you have to use diuretic therapy or you have to give them intravenous antihistaminics or you have to give them respiratory support care only so in this case the oxygen saturation has reduced to 88 percent so let's see what's the answer maybe so answer for this question is the respiratory support care only why is it true because transfusion reactions associated with hypotension so first is the anaphylaxis it occurs within seconds to minute recipient anti-iga antibody Causes these include recipient anti-IgA antibody. Clinical features are shock, angioedema, urticaria and respiratory distress. Second is the transfusion related acute lung injury. Where you see it, it occurs from minutes to hours. Donor anti-leukocyte antibodies are there. Respiratory distress, non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema and bilateral pulmonary infiltrates. So this is the case. Okay. Next is the acute hemolysis. So minutes to hours. ABO incompatibility. You see fever, flank pain, hemoglobinuria and DIC. And last one is the bacterial sepsis from minutes to hours. Bacterial contamination of the donor product. Fever and chills and sheptic shock and DIC is present. So this patient developed respiratory distress, hypertension, pulmonary infiltrate during the blood transfusion. So findings are concerned with acute transfusion, transfusion related acute lung injury. Trali, trali is an uncommon potential fatal side effect uh, or transfusion reactions in which the neutrophils activated by the complement in the transfused blood, example anti-leukocyte antibody causes the damage to the pulmonary microvasculature leading to the trali and it includes uh, the risk factors of the trolley include smoking, alcohol and critical illness. Damage to the capillary endothelium result in the inflammation of the pul uh, pul inflammatory pulmonary edema. Hypoxia and dyspnea develops within 6 hours or after transfusion initiation. Tachycardia, hypotension and fever may also be present. Chest x-ray reveals the bilateral pulmonary infiltrate. Treatment of the trolley includes immediate transfusion cessations and respiratory support care. Most patients require ventilation support. Some patient requ uh, recovers within 24 to 48 hours. But 50% previously clinically ill patients may die. Okay. So yeah. The educational objective of this question is the transfusion related acute lung injuries, potential fatal uh, transfusion reactions and uh, present with acute dyspnea, hypoxia, bilateral pulmonary infiltrate and possibly hypertensions and management includes transfusion cessation and respiratory support care only. Okay. So yeah. Anticoagulation therapy is indicated only if pulmonary embolism was there but this is not the case of pulmonary embolism. Broad spectrum antibiotic is used for transfusion transmitted bacterial infection. Okay. Diuretic therapy is used for TACO that is transfusion associated cardiac circulatory overload. So for that we use the diuretic therapy. Okay. And uh, 
एम्पेरिक इंट्रामस्कुलर एपिनेफ्रिन एंड इंट्रावीनस एंटी हिस्टामिक इज यूज फॉर एनाफाइलेक्सिस नाउ the next question says a 56 year old man with recent diagnosis of cirrhosis comes to the hospital for elective upper gastrointestinal endoscopy to evaluate the esophageal varices the patient has elevated liver aminotransferase level and hepatitis serology is positive for chronic hepatitis c abdominal imaging reveals the mild ascites a nodular appearing liver and splenomegaly he has no other medical problems the patient has uh, a remote uh, patient has remote history of uh, injection drug use and does not use tobacco or alcohol vital signs are within normal limits benzocaine throat spray is used topically for anesthesia and procedural sedation is obtained with midazolam and fentanyl during the procedure the patient oxygen saturations and pulse oximetry gradually declines and reaches to 85% on the ambient air and does not improve with application of the oxygen mask or face mask physical examination demonstrate bluish discolorations of the lips and the fingers and lung fluids are clear to auscultate heart sound are normal and uh, result of uh, urgent laboratory test shows that hematocrit is 39 it has increased ph is 7.39 there is uh, alkalosis and pao2 is 142 pseo2 is 34 and oxygen saturation is 99% so what is the most likely cause of this disease decrease oxygen saturation in this case okay so answer to this question is altered state of hemoglobin okay so basically this patient is having decrease oxygen saturation because of altered state of hemoglobin this patient has a new onset of hypoxia by pulse oximetry it is 85% during an endoscopic procedure with significant difference between oxygen saturation value evaluated on blood gas analysis that obtained on pulse oximetry okay larger oxygen saturation gap is there and he likely has acquired methemoglobinemia due to anesthesia use since he was given benzocaine and all those all those things so that can lead to methemoglobinemia which has further reduced the oxygen saturation okay so some medications most commonly the topical anesthesia anesthesia such as benzocaine and also dapsone and some nitrate compounds in case of infants can cause iron component of the hemoglobin to oxidize and since the iron component of hemoglobin oxidize by forming a meth hemoglobin which cannot further binds to the oxygen the remaining normal hemoglobin also has increased affinity for oxygen and resulting in less oxygen delivery to the tissue because methemoglobinemia absorb light at distant wavelength pulse oximetry uh, commonly present as 85% as seen in this patient regardless of the true oxygen saturations in parallel the blood gas analysis frequently returns a falsely elevated level of the oxygen saturation that is 99% in this patient as it provides an estimated based only on pao2 not effective hemoglobin oxygen binding these inaccurate readings create a larger oxygen saturation gap cyanosis can occurs when methemoglobin comprises of 10% of the total hemoglobin and hypoxia symptoms such as headache and lethargy occurs only when it surpasses the 20% that time you see the symptoms and at the level of more than 50% there is severe symptoms such as altered mental status seizures respiratory depression and even death can occur treatment involves discontinuation of the causative agent and administration of methylene blue which helps to reduce the iron to its normal state 
so basically what happens whenever you see a patient who is receiving in anesthesia for example topical anesthesia as benzocaine or anyone uh, or whenever anyone is receiving a dapsone or a nitrate compound specifically in infants or nitrate compound for infants then what happens when you are taking the pulse oximetry directly that time it is coming the saturation will come less okay and when you do the arterial blood gas analysis and that time you see the saturation so that will be higher because although oxygen is present in the blood it is not binding to the hemoglobin as the plus 2 state of the iron is reduced to plus oxidized to plus 3 state because of this uh, hemoglobin uh, this uh, drugs because of these drugs so yeah and it is leading to methemoglobinemia and also the remaining uh, hemoglobin iron which have the uh, which have the affinity for the oxygen they have increased their affinity for oxygen so they are not delivering the oxygen to the tissue so ultimately the oxygen saturations by this method uh, by the method which we usually do will be lower as compared to the arterial blood gas analysis so and uh, yeah and the patient will have cyanosis if uh, total hemoglobin uh, out of 10 per total hemoglobin 10 percent of the hemoglobin has undergone methemoglobinemia okay and that time you see the symptoms of uh, cyanosis but if you have uh, the hemoglobin has undergone 20 percent conversion then you see headache lethargy also and if it is more than 50 percent then you see severe symptoms such as altered mental status seizures respiratory depression and even death so for uh, treatment you have to discontinue the causative agent first of all and secondly you have to give the methylene blue so that it can again reduce the iron state back to normal okay one more interesting point is not related to this question but a random one is that the patient with liver disease can have a large volume ascites and also severe muscle wasting can be there which may lead to decreased diaphragmatic excrusions and this can ultimately result in hypoxia okay however the patient with only mild ascites on ultrasonography and no evidence of the muscle wasting then there would be no such findings so yeah it's fine next is the hepatopulmonary syndrome result from the arteriovenous shunting in the lung okay so hepatopulmonary syndrome what you see that arteriovenous shunt are formed and uh, the blood is flowing towards the lung okay which can occur years after the liver disease the patients frequently exhibit uh, platypenia that is the induced dyspnea in the upright position whenever someone is uh, in the upright position there will be induced dyspnea and also orthodeoxia that is the hypoxia in the upright position so if you see dyspnea in the upright position that is platypnea and if you see hypoxia in the upright position that is orthodeoxia okay this syndromes would not explain the patient larger oxygen saturation gap so yeah if you see a oxygen saturation gap which is increased then that can be methemoglobinemia because of any cause now let's talk about the treatment of deep venous thrombosis first of all whenever a patient comes to you you have to see that is there any uh, proximal lower extremity dvt proximal means popliteal of femoral artery or vein involved sorry now after looking at that you look at two points pulmonary embolism with hemodynamic instability or proximal massive dvt that is extensive il iliofemoral dvt with severe swelling and limb threatening ischemia if it is there that these two points are there then you ask whether they have any contraindications for thrombolytic therapy if they say no we don't have any then you simply have to give them thrombolytic therapy but if they say yes then consider mechanical thrombectomy or we can also do the iliac stunting 
और वी कैन ऑल्सो गो फॉर सर्जिकल थ्रॉम्बेक्टॉमी सो मैकेनिकल थ्रॉम्बेक्टॉमी इलियक्स टंटिंग और सर्जिकल थ्रॉम्बेक्टॉमी ओके सर्जिकली रिमूव द थ्रॉम्बस मैकेनिकली रिमूव द थ्रॉम्बस और डुओ स्टंटिंग ओके इलियक्स टंटिंग नेक्स्ट एंड ऑल्सो इफ द थ्रॉम्बोलिटिक थेरेपी वॉज नॉट वर्किंग एंड इफ देर इज नो इम्प्रूवमेंट विद दैट देन अगेन यू हैव टू डू दिस थ्रॉम्बेक्टॉमी एंड प्रीवियसली इफ द पेशेंट डज नॉट हैव द पलमोरी एम्बोलिजम विथ हेमोडाइनमिक इंस्टेबिलिटी और मैसी प्रॉक्सिमल डिविटी विद सीवियर स्वेलिंग और लिम थ्रेटिंग स्ट्रीमिया देन यू आस्क वेदर एनी देर इज एनी कॉन्ट्राइंडिकेशन फॉर एंटी कोआगुलेशन सो इफ दिस ए येस दे हैव अ कॉन्ट्राइंडिकेशन फॉर एंटी कोआगुलेशन देन यू हैव टू पुट प्लेस दैम ऑन आई वी सी फिल्टर इन फिर कवर फिल्टर एंड इफ दिस ए नो दे डोंट हैव सच फाइंडिंग देन यू गिव दैम एंटी कोआगुलेशन ओके and failure of anticoagulations or recurrent dvt then again you put the ivc filter so uh, if a patient with life threatening bleeding episodes such as hypotension tachycardia and significant anemia also has a proximal deep venous thrombosis are at higher risk of embolizations to the lung can result in pulmonary embolisms the patient with a dvt and pulmonary embolisms who have contraindications or complications for anticoagulation therapy that means they have significant bleeding disorders or they had previous uh, recent surgeries or also acute hemorrhagic stroke you should place them on the inferior vena cava filter replacement or you should have an inferior vena cava filter placed okay Another indications for the inferior vena cava filter plates includes the anticoagulation fails to work or there is recurrent DVT along with the therapeutic anticoagulation. Still, there is recurrent DVT. That time also you can place the IVC filter. IVC filter are placed via transvenous approach and inhibit large thrombi in the lower extremity from embolizing to the lung. Generally, it is prefer preferable to you place a retrievable filter and remove it uh, after the patient is stabilized and the filter is no longer necessary short term complications of ivc filters includes bleeding infection thrombus formation at the puncture site and also long term complications are filter migrations or erosions can be there surrounding structures can be involved recurrent thrombus can be formed because of the filter only because of mechanical shearing all right so yeah that's the thing compression stocking will not be required here uh, it's not required here because we have already used that the patient might have already used that okay and warfarin dose typically adjusted to achieve the therapeutic inr of 2 to 3 but uh, if there is a life threatening gastrointestinal bleeding uh, that is complications then we don't use this uh, warfarin and all okay yeah so this is it for this lecture thank you for listening